0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast I'm Teddy Cahill joining me as always is Joe Healy and later in the show we will be joined by Alabama coach Brad Bohannon, who is here to help us preview the College World Series finals which begin this week on Monday, they run Monday through through Wednesday. On your ESPN family of networks, seven o'clock Eastern. I believe it's ESPN two Monday and Wednesday, and ESPN on Tuesday. Throw a little wrench into that for you, uh, but that's where you can find find the games. It is Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Those are the last two teams playing in Omaha for the national title. For Vanderbilt the commodores are trying to repeat as national champions they won in 2019 of course 2020 was canceled for mississippi state they are looking for not only their first baseball national title but their first team sport national title in uh in school history so a lot on the line here we've got a lot to get to it's been a very eventful week in omaha beyond the fact that we are now down to the final two teams We'll address the NC State situation, talk a little bit about some of the other teams that uh, have been eliminated from the College World Series. And I imagine we are going to touch on Jay Johnson being hired as LSU's next head coach before this uh, this podcast wraps up here. So we've got a lot to get to today on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The RapSoto National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at RapSoto.com/slash national database. All right, Joe, we're we're here. It's Sunday, the day before the finals. A lot of excitement about that. It's uh we're down to the final two or three games depending on uh how, how long the series goes of the 2021 college season and it's uh hey, we, we we've got it it's been a a long road to get here but we have arrived at, at
2: now the the grandest stage of college baseball we have a, and it has been a long road that got even longer uh, as time has gone on we'll, we'll touch on some of that here shortly but yeah it's uh, you know it's. I think now having been here the full what will end up being almost two weeks by the time we're, we're all we're done here, but have been here more than a week now, I have even a greater appreciation for what these teams and coaches go through to get to this point, because it's not just the baseball is, is really good. It's not just that every team you're going to play is really good. It's, it's not just that you are dealing with the moment and the opponent and the ballpark and pressure and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's also just kind of a grind, you know, you're, you're away from home. You know, if you made it to this point, you're away from home and away from the creature comforts and the routine of that for longer than you have been, you know, pretty much all season with only really the, you know, maybe an early season road trip, you know, a non-conference road trip or something or the conference tournament, even really rivaling it. But this is different than that because you're in one place away from home. Um, And so it's it's just kind of a physical and a mental grind. And, um, you know, so it really does give me a little more appreciation for these teams that have gotten here, especially in the, You know, both of these teams have dealt with some unique circumstances. Vanderbilt, of course, was right in the middle of the the DNC State situation. So that's kind of a kind of a unique circumstance to have to deal with. And and by the time you listen to this, I'll have a a quick piece up from, you know, a press conference with Tim Corbin and Vanderbilt players about kind of what it was like to deal with that and, and how they've dealt with that. And, you know, the Mississippi State side, things were a little bit more routine from that standpoint, but, you know, they were pushed by Texas, had to fight their way out of the bracket against texas and so they've they've had a lot of they've also played a lot of close games and so they they've been really taxed mentally and emotionally and physically here as well so you've got two teams that have really um you know been pushed in a lot of different ways to get to this point
0: yeah so we've kind of talked around it a little bit here just in in the opening so let's uh get get the to the, the elephant in the room here, and that is NC State's removal from the College World Series. That happened very early Saturday morning. Uh, if you weren't watching the end of Texas and Mississippi State through the multiple hour rain delay um, late in that one, you were probably asleep when the decision was made to remove NC State from the College World Series. The day began, Friday that is, began with them, with State taking on Vanderbilt in a bracket final. NC State was 2-0. Vanderbilt was coming out of the loser's bracket, so they needed to beat the Wolfpack twice to advance to the finals. That game was delayed uh, due to health and safety protocols was was what we were told. It's delayed about an hour. There's a lot of who knows what's going on. Um, Ultimately, it was decided that the game would be played. NC State had 13 available players, nine position players, four pitchers. has been the figure that's been quoted an awful lot. But uh, one of the pitchers wound up being a position player. So really it was more like 10 position players and three pitchers. I don't actually know if Sam Heifel would have been able to get on the mound even. Um, maybe he had like a couple outs in him. But anyway, NC State plays with 13 players. Oh, they they were down four regulars. They're, the pitchers they want to use were not available. They made it a really good game against Kamar Rocker and Vanderbilt. But Vanderbilt won three to one. After the game, still a lot of unknowns. Elliot Avent in his press conference said that he didn't really know what was going on, but that he hoped that more players would be made available for Saturday's game. And, you know, then we, uh, I don't want to say, we, then we like kind of moved on from that. And, Cause that was all that, that, that specter was always hanging in the background, but uh, you know, then Texas and, and Mississippi State took the field. and. Uh, NC state went off to do more testing uh, to to try and clear all the players that they needed to clear. Ultimately, that was not the case. They had more positives after the, after the game, including some players who had been vaccinated. Uh, and then the, the decision was made to remove NC state from, uh, you know, from from the college world Series. they are the sixth team in Division one sports to have had you know COVID protocols and their season. They however are the they had made it further than any of the other teams. There were three in the men's hockey tournament, one in the women's volleyball tournament and one in the men's basketball tournament, but no, none of them had reached you know a final four of, of their sport so it was really a stunning move it was stunning that it was announced when it was announced the way it was announced just with a, a press release uh, they just threw it up on espn they, they didn't um you yeah, know they, they did not bother holding it for the morning for a press conference for anything they uh they just did it in the dark of night and nc state was out and uh it was uh, a very weird situation all around uh and with that vanderbilt advances to uh to the finals you know they instead of playing a winner take all bracket final on saturday afternoon uh, against nc state that has ramifications of its own obviously because vanderbilt didn't have to play that game and therefore you know has a slightly better pitching situation uh, as a result but the the big thing here is just that NC State season came to a uh, a crushing end that, you know, I mean, it, it's not going to be forgotten by anyone in college baseball anytime soon. And it, it's, you know, for, for a team that had done so much to get to this point, they played so well in the second half of the season. They went on the road to Ruston, won a regional, went on the road to Fayetteville upset, number one overall seed, Arkansas, and then when their first two games in Omaha, um, you know, thoughts of, of national championships certainly are, are deservedly being entertained at that point. Uh, but it, uh, it all came to a, uh, a, a, a crash and end there on late Friday, early
2: Saturday morning. Yeah. And I, I shouldn't be surprised by this, but unfortunately I've seen a lot in the aftermath, a lot of binary discussions. About the situation, and it seems like there is a lot of taking up sides between, you know, uh, this is this is an injustice for NC State, and you know, a lot of anger. And I'm not saying the anger is not warranted. Um, and then the other side being like, "Well, I don't feel sorry for him at all. If you're not vaccinated, then this is what you were risking." And you know, the answer, I think you can. I think as humans, we are capable of complex emotions, and I think we sh- this should be a moment where we use those and understand. We should be anyway, right? And I, don't, that, I don't know anymore if we are, but we should be. Right. That's true. Recent evidence is really testing that theory that I have about complex emotions. But so I've seen a lot too much of that binary. We can be upset for the players. Like, you know, here shortly you will hear Brad Bohannon talk about how he, he, he physically felt pain in, in some ways for these players and coaches. And I think Teddy and I speak for, Everyone who was there, that you can you can understand how painful that must have been for the for this group of players, whether you were vaccinated or not, whether you were playing or not, whatever. And at the same time, you can understand that like this is a risk they were taking, and you know they had players who were unvaccinated, and um, that that's just that is the risk they were taking. And there was some, you know, Blue Corrigan, their athletic director, came out and clarified a little that you know some players were interested in vaccination but were putting it off because. know some of these vaccines have made people feel a little bit yucky in the day or two after they get it and so worried about what that would do during the middle of the season because vaccines really weren't available for young people of that age demographic until the season was underway so they, they put it off so like okay there's also that but so those two things can be true we can we can hurt for these kids and these coaches and we can also say that they were taking a little bit of a risk and people will come back and say well some of the positives were were vaccinated players and that is true, but they were only tested because they had unvaccinated positives. Unvaccinated players test positive, that triggered further testing, which brought up the positives from the vaccinated players. And we could spend all day and frustratingly, many people seem to have spent all day uh, the last couple of days, really arguing about this online, about whether or not we should be testing the vaccinated players because it's harder to transmit with having been vaccinated. And that is 100% true. Um but look, these are the rules. Like that's all I can say. <laughs> you know, like and so again, I, I'm tr- I'm being trying to be very empathetic because I I do get it. Like it is frustrating if I were a fan or a parent or one of the players or someone associated with the university, I would be I would be hurt as well. And even just as an observer I'm hurt because I wanted to see NC State have a chance to do something that program has never done, right? Um but on their head it happened. And, and I'm, it happened. These were the rules. Um That there's no conspiracy against NC State. This was just an unfortunate thing that happened to NC State while they were here. Um, And so the anger is 100% warranted. The frustration is 100% warranted. But I think that anger and frustration is misplaced if you're looking for conspiracy theories or if you're going to be mad at the NCAA. There's a lot of reasons to be mad at the NCAA. You can maybe take issue with how it was announced, all that kind of stuff. But these were the rules that were put in place. The teams understood them coming into the tournament. The idea that the should just start winging it once something happens. And once you know what hits the fan, I think it's just, it's just foolhardy. So I understand a lot of people are lashing out because they don't like what happened and I get it, man. Like I do, I really do. I hope this doesn't sound flippant, but these were kind of the rules and this was the risk they were taking. And unfortunately it cropped up and got them at the absolute worst time.
0: This is also a team that had undergone a COVID pause in March. They had an ACC series against Duke canceled. Um, I think that's an important part of the story. It is possible. We don't know that um, you know some of the unvaccinated players perhaps did not undergo vaccination because they had previously had it. Um, it's possible that they, whatever, I don't know, not really here to engage in, in speculation, they didn't get vaccinated. If they had been vaccinated, they would have Been exempt from all kinds of routine testing, and this wouldn't have happened, and you know all the rest of it. Whatever, Uh, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of interesting thoughts about this. I, I think I'm still struggling to process this. More than 24 hours on, more than however many hours on we are now. uh, It's, uh, it's something that I thought we naively thought we had moved past uh college baseball have largely done a really good job of not having its season impacted by the pandemic um you know every weekend basically for the first three months of the season probably there were games that were being canceled series that were being canceled there was never more than here or there certainly not after the first few uh few weekends when games were always the easiest to cancel they were non-conference games and long trips and probably just a lot quicker on the trigger and also you know as as the vaccines became more available and overall trend lines went started going the other way and uh, you you saw less of an impact of the pandemic and then for it to happen on the stage of the college world series i mean we, we hadn't heard hardly anything about COVID throughout the NCAA tournament, and then all of a sudden here it is rearing its its ugly head at, at, at the worst possible time. I mean, it always seems to do that over the last year, fifteen months. You know that it, it just has a way of inserting itself, and unfortunately, this is uh, this is the way it happened. And uh, it, it's terrible for really everyone involved. I, I don't think it's good for, for anyone that this is what, what happened. So chalk that up with, uh, with the rest of COVID for the last, you know, again, 15 months, like nothing, nothing positive, you know, just whole whole series of negatives there. And, um, you know, I, I hate that this is, this is where we're at and it feels like a whole bunch of ways it could have been avoidable. Um, but it wasn't, wasn't avoided. And and that's, uh, I guess that that's where we're at now.
2: Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I think it's a, you know, a, was a it wasn't <laughs> a good, but yeah, know I think so. Because, you know, I think that, um, I think that's exactly right. We naively, uh, this specifically is what I'm referring to is that we kind of got lulled to sleep. I feel like, um, you know, you and I, I think were uniquely aware of what was going on in college baseball with reference to COVID because you and I were tracking the cancellations. And, you know, at one point I kind of thought about bringing it up on the podcast, but it's almost like one of those things where i, a, I you know, it just wasn't really pertinent, and B, like, I, I almost didn't want to tempt fate, but I almost brought up one time, you know, we've been having to do that less and less as the season has gone on, you know, it had really turned into, like, here and there, and the cancellations almost sometimes seem more like, hey, better safe than sorry, like, it's not really that big, you know, if they were postseason games, maybe things would have gone through or whatever, you know, it, it, a lot of them seem like they were cancellations less out of necessity and more out of just, like, to use that, that overwrought phrase, abundance of caution type situations. So we, I think we really had kind of gotten lulled to sleep a little bit that we were going to get through this thing without, without any sort of issue. And, and, you know, just, this is like, after just a brutal, you know, year and a, a half now, I guess, at this point of not, not, I guess, not quite, but you know, 14 months or, or what have you of, of dealing with this, this is just like, hopefully, I mean, hopefully this is the last gasp of it, but just one final big slap in the face from COVID to college baseball, which, you know, it has been just dealing with this uh, since early in the 2020 calendar year. So not, not the time for it, but unfortunately just one, one more, uh, one, one more thing with COVID in college baseball in a year and a half of full of almost nothing, but.
0: Yeah. I mean, nothing about, it has been an imperfect season. We have an imperfect college world series. That's where we're at. Welcome to, welcome to 2021 folks that's uh I don't, I don't know how much how much more we can we can say other than uh you know like it's uh it's just a bad situation all the way around and uh really unfortunate that this is uh this is now what this college world series is going to be probably most remembered for uh i mean we'll see how history judges it but this is this is forever going to be a part of the uh the narrative of this this year as i mean as it should be again imperfect season imperfect college world series uh why not you know that's uh that's that's where we're at as a as a country as a world right now all right with that let's uh let's move on let's let's talk about the games that are actually going to be played this week not the games that might have been or, or the games that were. let's uh let's get to this this Finals matchup of Vanderbilt and Mississippi State, and to help us do that, we're uh, we're going to bring in Alabama coach Brad Bohannon. The Tide played both uh, the Commodores and the Bulldogs this season, so he's uh, he's in a position to to help us break down uh, the the situation there, uh, the, the matchup there between these these two teams that you'll see play out in Omaha. This week. So we'll get to to coach Bohannon here in a second, but first check this out today on the baseball America college podcast. We're excited to be joined by Alabama coach Brad Bohannon, Alabama played both Mississippi State and Vanderbilt this season, part of their exceedingly difficult SEC slate. So we wanted to get Bo on to talk about these teams and what the matchup this week is going to be like. So, Coach, we're uh, we're, we're happy that you were able to join us. Obviously, wish uh, it was in slightly different circumstances for everyone, but uh, happy to have you on to uh, to talk about this matchup.
1: Well, thanks, Teddy. And Joe, appreciate you having me. And, you know, that's a tough thing about sports in general. Typically, only one team gets to win their last game. So... Uh, Just huge congratulations to Mississippi State and Vanderbilt both for being here. Uh, Great teams, great programs, really uh, well coached and, uh, you know, having played both clubs in May, I'm not surprised that they're the last two teams standing.
0: Yeah, not only did you play both of these teams, you you played them both late. Mississippi State was the last weekend of the regular season. Vanderbilt was a couple weeks before that, both on the road as well. Um, again, just not, a, not an easy slate for the Tide this year. Uh, but what, um, starting with Mississippi State, I guess what uh, what stood out to you when when you saw
1: them? Well, I really think both teams are are really complete, uh, really well rounded, and and they're a little bit different, but. Um, you know, both clubs, just like every team, have strengths and weaknesses, and uh, I think it always kind of starts on the mound. Uh, both teams, uh, Mississippi State has uh, really good starting pitching and an absolute buzzsaw on the back end, and, uh, you know, Vanderbilt, maybe their one and two punch with uh, rocker and lighter or a, a little bit stiffer than Mississippi State's and not quite as uh, deadly on the back end. But, um, you know, both teams really, really pitch at a high level with their top five or six guys, and they're, they're both really tough to score against.
0: You mentioned the one-two punch there of Rocker and Lighter, and we're not going to get to see it as a one-two classic punch, uh, you know, just because of the way the schedule sets up with Rocker having thrown on Friday. So the expectation is Lighter will pitch on Monday, and then Rocker would be available to go in game three. Does it matter that they're not seeing them back-to-back or that they don't have them back-to-back?
1: I don't think so. You know, obviously the the national championship is going to come down to who wins two out of the three games. And I I would imagine that both coaches, that that Lamb and Corbs are going to tell their guys, hey, just worry about today and just play, try to win innings and just try to win pitches. And you can't get too consumed with, um, you know, the second game or the third game. And that's human nature. And that's the job of coaches. Hey, let us worry about, you know, making pitching decisions uh, to cover, you know, the innings or the bullpen the next day, and the kids just need to worry about playing in the moment. So, um, you know, trying to evaluate the series and, and make a prediction and, and all of that, it is a little bit different with uh, the lineup of the pitching and the the uncertainty that, uh, um, hey, you really can't leave any stone unturned and, and you really can't save anything for tomorrow.
2: One of the things that's been talked about, a decent amount this year with Vanderbilt was that, you know, you, you get past rocker and lighter and, and not that that's the easy task, but you get to game three and Vanderbilt's a little more vulnerable, but it strikes me that that's relative, right? So you don't get to face rocker and lighter, but it's not like Vanderbilt runs out of arms after that. And so I'm curious if you could give voice a little bit to just what to expect with kind of the rest of the Vanderbilt staff, whether you're talking the bullpen guys, Murphy Maldonado, you know, Christian little, you know, uh, McElvain, like it, those are quality arms. And it feels to me like we've, we've maybe gotten a little over our skis sometimes with making an assumption about, well, if you just get Vanderbilt to a third game, they're a little bit susceptible because, I mean, those guys have shown this week that they're really up to the task as well.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, Joe. I think sometimes when you have superstar players, they can overshadow, you know, some of the other guys that are really key pieces. And, I mean, having Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker is a one-two punch is, it's special. Um, That's something that happens you know, once in a coaching career or every other year if you're Vanderbilt. But, you know, to have, um, you know, two guys of over 100 innings of, you know, a two and a half or or sub ERA that are strike throwers that pitch into the seventh inning, it seems like every time out is just really special. But, you know, even when they get to a game three, maybe they're a little more vulnerable on the front end of the game, you know, if they're starting Christian Little or Patrick Riley or whoever. But, You know, you mentioned some really good pieces that Nick Maldonado is a really key piece in the bullpen and Luke Murphy has thrown some really good innings and um, McIlvain has really pitched well. And, um, you know, they're not chopped liver. You know, those are guys that have stuff and that that throw strikes and they have some experience. So um, just because it is uh, maybe a little more manageable in in a, a third game is certainly not easy.
0: On the state side, Landon Sims is the guy that they're trying to get the ball to at the end. He's pitched in all three of Mississippi State's wins in Omaha. He's given up just one run in those games. And no one has figured out how to beat him this year, obviously. But is there a plan of attack against him at all, or, or is there just you got to hunt the fastball?
1: Well, both of his uh, two pitches are plus. I mean, he really pitches off of that pitch high spin four seam fastball up in the zone and he does does a good job of throwing it up in the zone um has a really good uh, slider that um it seems to have a little different shape than maybe your typical slider and he does a good job of throwing them both for a strike so i think anytime there's a, a a pitcher that's got a real out pitch that you do want to be a little extra aggressive to the fastball but um you know hitters for whatever reason they they don't get to it and they um or they foul it off and uh, they're two-plus pitches, and I'm not sure that you can really sit on either one. Uh, he, he's tough, and that's one of the reasons that he's had such a uh, so much success this year.
2: One of the other guys that's been big for them uh, is, has been Bednar, and the way he's really kind of, especially in light of the fact that, you know, Christian McLeod, first time around, they didn't get as much removed as they would have liked, so getting what they've gotten from Bednar feels like maybe the most important thing that's happened for them on the mound in this College World Series. What were your impressions of seeing him and, and and what do you think has made him be able to turn it on late this season?
1: Yeah, we played Mississippi State. It was our last conference weekend. So um, we played him the third weekend in May. And, and Bednar was just electric against us. And um, he, he did a great job of really getting his fastball to glove side. And his slider just really tunnels well. It doesn't come up out of his hand. And our guys, even left-handed batters, were swinging at his breaking ball like they were seeing a fastball. And obviously it was not. So, You know, he's a guy that uh, I think the back half of this year has, um, or the back third of the season has really kind of caught a second wind, and seems to be taking a step forward. I think his last, um, his two outings in Omaha may have been two of his better outings this year statistically. So, um, you know, and you're also talking about a guy who hasn't pitched a lot of college baseball, and to me, that's what makes Will Bednar and Jack Leiter so special. Or, you know, these guys didn't pitch last year. This is their first time through the SEC, and they're they're doing this, and they're doing it you know, at the the 90, 110 inning mark in June. And and I think those two guys are are really, really special.
0: Obviously, pitching has dominated uh, this World Series to this point. I think both teams are hitting sub-220 to to this point. And that, that says a lot about the level of pitching out here, but you do have to score runs to win. When we look at it, Mississippi State at the top of the order. Rowdy Jordan, Tanner Allen are are, are the big guys. They're the veterans. They're, they've been here before. What's it like starting a lineup, you know, facing those two guys?
1: Well, it's not very fun. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> um, those two guys, they're old, man. You know, they've been around the block and, you know, Rowdy's a switch hitter and, and Tanner Allen was the, the player of the year in our league and um, they're just good, and they're older, and they know how to play baseball. They know how to have at bats, and they, they've been consistently good, and they're threats. And um, you know, they've got some pieces in the middle that don't get as much uh, attention. But you know, guys like Logan Tanner and Cameron James and Luke Hancock, that those guys are threats. You know, they're all double-digit home run guys. And you know, to me, um, you know, they've got a little bit of length to their lineup. And uh, just like most every team, there, there's some guys down at the bottom that, that don't particularly scare you. But you know, the whole key to to Mississippi State is getting those bottom guys out. Because if you let those guys get on and then you got uh, Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan up to bat with people on base, you you got a problem there.
2: One of the things that we knew about this Mississippi State team coming into this College World Series is that there kind of just seems to be something about it, whether it's the leadership they get from guys like Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen or whatever else. I mean, we saw it last night with a guy in Tanner Leggett getting a walk-off hit, a guy who came into the game in the seventh inning and doesn't have a ton of at-bats late in the season, and there he was. Um, how is that kind of thing expressed, whether it's a team that that you've coached before that just kind of has a little bit of magic to it or from what you've observed? When we talk about teams that seem to come up in those big moments, how can you explain how that ends up getting expressed in the way the team plays and and how things shake out?
1: Yeah, Joe, that's a great point. I think every coach would tell you that a lot of times, you know, the biggest pitch of the season or the biggest uh, at-bat of a season, it, it seems like it's somebody that's down in the order a part-time player got an opportunity because of injury it doesn't seem like your best player your three-hole hitters ever up to bat with a season on the line and you know it's just a great lesson for us as coaches and, and the young players we tell our guys all the time that um you know hey you got to be ready for your opportunity and uh, it's very humbling to be a coach at the college level because you look at your lineup on opening day and the pitching roles and then you look at it in may or june and it's always different for all of us and you just don't have a crystal ball, and you don't know how the season's going to evolve, and who's going to grow, and who's going to uh, have a hard time handling failure and, and injuries and, and all of that. So it was really cool to see a guy come in as a defensive replacement, get a walk-off hit in College World Series. It, it's pretty special and a great uh, learning tool for all of us. The
0: the other thing about the Mississippi State lineup. Is they just don't strike out much? That was about the only thing Kamar Rocker was willing to say to the media today uh, when when asked about the Mississippi State lineup. But it is it is a very notable thing that in a league where you know you see more of the trend like like you see in pro ball where home runs and strikeouts are king, Mississippi State is bucking that. I mean, if you look across the across the way at Vanderbilt, you'll see a lot higher strikeout totals. So. What does that then do when you try to attack them? That they're part of their whole mission is that they're up there trying to grind at bats and, and at least work pitchers counts, uh, if not, you know, find a way to, to bust a single through rather than, you know, maybe swinging a little little looser, a little more for the fences.
1: You feel it when you're the in the opposing dugout. Um, you know, it's crazy that you, you get two of the best teams in college baseball, and there's 170. Uh, difference between the strikeouts of the two clubs, and you know Vanderbilt obviously a very good offensive club and uh, ninety stolen bases, eighty nine home runs, uh, just a, a lot of threats. But um, you know Mississippi State, you feel that they're going to put the ball in play. And we tell our kids all the time that hey, if you just put the ball in play, you got a thirty percent chance of, of getting a hit or getting on base. And it's a lot easier said than done. So this is going to be the the typical you know Vanderbilt power stuff, power arms that strike out a bunch of guys against a. A team that, uh, at least by SEC standards, the toughest to strike out, and it's um, two heavyweights slugging it out. i wanted to ask
2: a little bit about some defensive considerations. Obviously, you know you've not been in the position of had to have to consider this yet, but I'm, I'm curious as you observe the college world series, or have talked to to coaches who have had considerations like this. What do you think about defensively? I mean, a lot gets made about the fact that it's a it's a big outfield. You know, you've got a lot of fly balls that just kind of die on the track. Um, it's also this time of year where you see a decent amount of sack bunting and and a lot of stuff like that. So putting yourself in your, in those shoes, you know, if you're getting a team ready to play in, on this stage, in this ballpark, what kind of defensive considerations are you thinking about?
1: Well, I I think you made a a couple of good points. It's a big outfield with with deep gaps. And, um, you know, I think these two teams, you get to this point of the the year though, and and you kind of have your, your guys that you're going with and, um, you know, the SEC tournament's are a good prep for this because, you know, the Hoover Met has a really deep outfield, really deep gaps, and you need to be athletic out there. And, and, you know, these games are going to be tight. I would be really surprised if at least two of these three games aren't tied in seventh inning or, or one-run games. And uh, when you get in those situations, all the little things are amplified, and you got to be able to to get a bunt down. you got to be able to defend the short game and um, maybe steal a base when – the math of the leg time and the, the catchers throw isn't very favorable. And, um, you know, so you're really going to have to execute the little things at a high level and in defense is just a part of that.
0: You mentioned speed and, and stealing bases and obviously think of Enrique Bradfield when we think of that right now in college baseball, he hasn't really been a huge factor in terms of of getting uh, getting the running game going and at least in stolen bases in Omaha. But what does he do? To, to
1: opposing pitchers when he gets on. You know, Teddy, when we played Vanderbilt, I mean, I, in 18 years in the conference, I, I don't know if I've seen anything like Bradfield as far as the pressure that that you feel when he gets on base. And, um, you know, we told our guys, that, like, hey, just you got to focus on making the pitch. Like, you're not, we're not going to throw him out, you know, if he gets on. Um, you can't get so consumed with it that you're picking three times and now you're you're missing your location because you're so worried about being too quick to the plate and uh, just a really, really electric dynamic threat and, um, you know, the whole key is keeping him off base, if he gets on base three or four times, uh, he's going to score two or three times most likely so uh, I think that's big. Uh, you know, you got to do your part of trying to, uh, you know, be quick to the play and control the running game, but you can't be consumed with it. And if he gets on first base, there's a high probability that he's going to get to second and uh, you better make pitches and, and make him get a hit to score.
2: You know, at this stage, you know, the, these two coaching staffs have, have been here enough to 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 kind of know, but uh, from your perspective, how important is it when you're a team in this position to kind of end up staying true to you are? Because I feel like it it's a tempting thing to maybe try to do something a little extra special or really push the issue or, you know, try to maybe do something that the the opposition wasn't necessarily prepared for. And and while maybe you get away with that, it seems like just as often it could backfire and all of a sudden your your team starts spinning its wheels a little bit. So take me through kind of the thought process of of how you approach just basically dancing with the one who brought you and, and trying to win games the way you have all year at this point.
1: Yeah, I don't have any doubt that Lim and Corvus both are telling their guys, "Hey, just go play. Don't try to add to anything. Just we're here because we're really good, and and we just need to be who we are." And you know, it's easier said than done. Everybody knows what's at stake, and we're all human. And um, you know, I'm 46 years old, and I'm sure if I was coaching in a national championship, that I would be a little more anxious than normal, and much less, you know, 19 years old. So um, that's something that all of us talk about. And you know, I, I think no matter what you're playing for, when you do something for the first time, it's a little uh, tougher, whether it's your first time in a regional or first time in a super or first time to Omaha. Um, a lot of guys say sometimes you have to get to those places before you can actually win them. And, you know, you're talking about two teams that have a large part of the kids on the field have been in the College World Series before and even multiple times. So that's a pretty interesting dynamic. Usually you get uh, teams in the national championship and maybe they haven't played in, in this environment or these stakes before. And, uh even though uh, Mississippi State's been to Omaha three times in a row. I don't know um, if being in the actual national championship series will, will be different for them, but, you know, the whole key is going to be just, just being who you are, and not trying to add to anything and not letting the game speed up on you too much, even though, you know, everybody knows what's at stake.
0: They played a three game series in late April Vanderbilt won. It was in Nashville obviously things have changed the stakes are different all the rest of that but how do, do you try and lean into that do, do you try and use that as motivation on either side or do you think they try and just flush that and, and recognize that that was two months ago and um you know not 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 try and use that at all this
1: week I don't think that weekend will, will be a big deal I mean it's almost two months ago and it was a very competitive series I mean you go on the road and lose two out of 3 to a top 5 team in the country there's no shame in that you know so the games were tied and these are two teams that are great teams that nobody is surprised that they're the last two standing um they're a little bit different but um You know, these are this is a 50 50 series. So, yeah, I don't think something that happened two months ago where the home team won two out of three in in some tight games is going to have any kind of impact. And it it may even give all the kids on the field a little bit of peace of mind of just being familiar with your opponent. Um, uh, You know, that sometimes that can be a little comforting that you at least know exactly what you're going to see.
0: The, uh, the last thing I got for you uh, on this series is, you know, you know, these coaches well, obviously Tim Corbin's been around the SEC throughout the 21st century. You recruited against Chris Lamonis when, when he was at Louisville and you were at Kentucky. What, uh, what what have you picked up on on watching those two guys and getting to know them, you know, across the diamond throughout the years?
1: You know, it's crazy about coaching of how you can be so different and still be successful and, um, I'll say this, I don't think Lim is any different. He's the same guy that, uh, you know, when we're watching 15-year-old kids up in Wisconsin 15 years ago, you know, like now that he's the head coach at Mississippi State, even though I'm not at practice or I'm not inside their program, I don't think he's changed a bit. I think he's really stayed true to who he is and hasn't tried to be somebody else because he's in a different role. And, you know, Corbs, I mean, he's, um, you know, the gold standard in, in college baseball with what Vanderbilt has accomplished. And, um, you know, I, he's been there. He's done that. He's won national championships. And, and you know, just tremendous, tremendous respect for both of those guys and really happy for both of them. I think they are both classy individuals that, that uh, have really strong work ethics, and high character and, and do it the right way. And, um, you know, it'll be a lot of fun to, to follow the series. And um, be, I'll be really happy for whoever wins it be
2: remiss if we didn't ask you a little bit about your own team. And, you know, in 2021, while I'm sure you felt like maybe you guys left a little bit on the table there to accomplish, it was still a return to the postseason for the program. And um, how did that feel? What was that like? How important is that in terms of now trying to build to something bigger moving forward?
1: Yeah, thank you, Joe. I was really proud of our kids this year. And, uh, you know, I think the SEC West, you can argue, is the, the toughest division in all of amateur athletics. And um, it, it's a tough – tough place to rebuild in. And, you know, we as coaches that are familiar with the internal parts of our program, we can see the progress before everybody outside can. And, um, you know, we were v- very fortunate to to get into a regional by the skin of our teeth. And I think it was a great experience for our kids. And, you know, in the recruiting process, you, you talk about, hey, we can go to Omaha and Alabama because our school's been there five times before. And, and you know, kids You know, once you get a little closer, it feels a little more tangible to to them. So um, just really happy for our fans and appreciate them. They've been unbelievably patient and supportive. And, you know, I I felt like we had a regional team last year and and didn't get to prove that because of COVID and and obviously got in this year. So I think everybody can truly see the, the tangible improvement of our program. We started six freshmen or COVID freshmen in a year where college baseball was as old as it's ever been. So. Um, really proud of what we've accomplished at this point and really excited about the future of, of our team
0: when, when you start to look at the 22 team obviously a lot can still change or as we sit here at the end of june the draft still is a few weeks away but what what do you think about uh, how the tide's set up for
1: 22 well I, I think we've got some really good pieces coming back you know like i mentioned in, in a year where uh, college baseball was really old. We had uh, six freshmen or COVID freshmen in, in our starting nine, and those kids are good players. And I think any coach would tell you, you see the biggest jump from that first year to the second year. And, um, you know, we're not really sure that we had more than our share of injuries this year on the mound, but just to the wrong guys. And um, because of that, we pitched some guys and asked them to do some things that maybe they weren't quite prepared for, but you certainly would think that they would grow from that and be um uh, you know, in a better position to be successful next year. And I think we've got probably the best recruiting class that we've ever signed coming in this fall. We may lose a guy or two to the draft. But, um, you know, we'll have the best collection of talent on next year's team that that we've had since we've been here. And, um, you know, you can't just roll the balls out. we got to do a good job of coaching them and and even grow the the outstanding team culture and environment that we have. But uh, I couldn't be more excited uh, and bullish about our program than I am right now.
0: Last question to uh to get you out of here on, I mean, obviously right now what everyone is looking at is the finals, but the the story of, of the World Series in some ways has been what happened to NC State. Um just when when did you like see that news and and how how did you, you know, begin to to try and and, and process that uh from, from afar?
1: You know, I was out recruiting and uh was just watching games with other coaches and somebody saw it on their phone. and we, uh, I I literally like could feel it physically, like just the gut punch. Like I, I can't imagine the emotions that those players and those coaches and just any, everybody involved felt because I felt it just from afar. And um, I just can't say enough about, um, you know, the season that they had. And, you know, obviously we got to play NC State in the regional and, and you could just, you could feel it, whatever it is, you could feel it in the regional and the other dugout that they were just kind of a team of destiny and, and really talented I and mean, had great players. And and uh, um, they were in a real position to win a national championship. So, uh, you know, would just like to congratulate them on a great season and just unbelievably unfortunate. Um, I don't even know what to say about it, Ted, except I'm so sorry to them. and. Um, and really happy for, for what they did accomplish and and just can't imagine what they're still feeling right now.
0: Yeah. It's uh, just one of those situations. I I don't think there is anything really that can be said. I, I, I've been at a loss for the last two days myself. So uh, certainly understand that feeling there.
1: We, um, I was gonna, I was gonna call or text those, you know, um, Clint or, or, uh, coach hard or elliot and i was like i didn't even know what to say um i don't think there is anything anybody can say or do and, um, just really really unfortunate
0: yeah yeah absolutely well hopefully we get a uh, a great finals here it's been overall uh aside from the uh the drama of uh of that it's been a great world series so hopefully we get three more good games as much more college baseball as we can get here and uh get get out of here on, on a high note in this uh unprecedented 2021 season
1: absolutely it'll be a great series to watch and um i think it'll be a lot of fun it's been it's been a great college world series very eventful and uh some things we would like to forget but um you know turn back the clock 12 months and i think we'd be really happy to be in this place
0: that is 100 the truth well we uh we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the the baseball america college podcast
1: yeah, thank you, guys. you will have a great day and enjoy the rest of your time in Omaha.
0: All right. Thank you to Alabama coach Brad Bohannon for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, it's uh this promises to be a very exciting series. I I think when we talk through it there, it's uh, you know, you you just think about all the different matchups, how good these uh, the games were when these two teams played earlier this year the the pitching that'll be on display you know the the star power that this provides i mean this is uh this should be a fun fun matchup for college baseball to to close the season on
2: yeah as much as it might be nice sometimes to to get a little variety you know get the the cross regional matchup you know west coast versus a team in the southeast or or what have you um this is this is a, a matchup that feels in a a number of ways, I think, um, inevitable is maybe not the right word, but like, of course, it's going to be these two teams because, you know, maybe if you sub in Arkansas for, for Mississippi state or for Vanderbilt, maybe you you could be for Vanderbilt based on the bracket. So like, yeah. So, I mean, maybe you, you know, sub that in and maybe it feels a little more as a, as an encapsulation of 2021, but I will say what we lose in that, perhaps to the extent that you would consider that losing something would be that you know, Vanderbilt Mississippi State have some history, and you know it got brought up a decent amount in the the pre championship series press conferences that we had on Sunday morning. Um, and ne- you know, neither side was really super engaged on the topic. But there's no denying that like these two programs have just butted heads time and again in recent years. And so, it, it I guess in that respect, it, it is kind of um, you know um, again struggling for the right word, but somewhat inevitable or fitting perhaps that it's, it's these two teams coming up at the end.
0: Tim Corbin in the uh, press conference said that he, I, I loved him going with the, uh, the very philosophical, well, what is a rivalry?
2: <laughs> I don't know if that's how he yeah. meant, but uh, that's yeah. how I'm going to choose to take it. Yeah. He was really willing. It's not, it, he made it sound like he really wanted to deconstruct what we, what we referred to as a, uh, as a rivalry, which, Hey, I'm here for, like I'm I'm the guy who has mentioned on a couple of occasions that I think it's dumb that one of the like really widely accepted definitions of a rivalry is that both, Like, both teams have to win with regularity, and, like, I just vehemently disagree with that. And so, like, if if he really wants to spend some time, like, truly taking apart the idea of a rivalry, like, uh, he should give us a call because I think we're we're ready to have that discussion.
0: So this is – this is not – a traditional rivalry, this is not a cross sports rivalry, this is just a straight up like these two fan bases don't like each other, the teams have played some really meaningful games in 2018 Mississippi State beat Vanderbilt in a in a super regional to to get to Omaha. Um, it's just. It's just one of opportunity and you know maybe now that they're playing in a cws finals this will like have some serious staying power because i think that no matter what happens this week there's going to be like this is going to be something that that's going to get thrown around an awful lot between the fan bases so we we may be watching a new rivalry like really come into its own uh before our eyes this week so that's that's exciting i guess i don't know um It'll be interesting to watch. I uh, I, I think the, the 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 point that I wanted to make before, uh, before you you, um, you recalled the, the, the to to my mind that the comment that Corbin made today uh, was okay. So th- this is an all SEC final. This is the second time this has happened in five College World Series four, five years, whatever. Two thousand seventeen was the last time it happened. They get confused since they canceled one. Um, Floyd and LSU that year I think it's the fourth time overall in uh college World Series history that the the finals has been a conference showdown. Obviously the SEC like we talk about it all the time as the best baseball conference but is this like actually like I don't know Joe what, what are your feelings on another all- SEC final? Uh, you know
2: i mean so it, on one hand i think it is a representation of where the sport was this year i mean it's kind of interesting as it would be for us to bang on the acc and for a while it looks like maybe nc state and or virginia was going to be in this position so you know that was kind of an interesting potential subplot but i think it it is a pretty good representation of what the sport looked like in 2021 and increasingly looks like year after year so i'm not going to bang it from that standpoint uh, personal preference though would be a fresher matchup if I'm being honest like as interesting as I think it will be when rubber meets the road in this series uh, you know f- just for my personal aesthetic I would I would like a matchup that's a little bit fresh that we could kind of like dive into and speculate about that we haven't seen on the field which is not to say it's going to go like it did last time but you know uh, we- we've seen this matchup and so something a little fresher would not have hurt my feelings I'll put it that way
0: so I don't really care about that standpoint of it, but it does somewhat concern me that no one is, it just seems increasingly the SEC has put at least one team in the finals for like, I don't know, 12 years now, I'd, I'd have to look at it again, but it's a long time except for 2016 and it just the all credit to the conference and to the schools for working as hard as they do. Like they are what is driving the sport right now. But at some point for the health of the sport, like somebody's got to step up. And I know the ACC at times has seemed like it was getting close to that. Um, but at other times it seems like the ACC is as far away as ever. No big 12 team has played for a national championship since 2009. They haven't won one since 2005. I think Texas has a chance to end that soon. I I thought that they might this year, obviously. The PAC 12 is really good at creating really good individual teams, but not necessarily the depth that you need to challenge the SEC on a, a full conference perspective. I don't know where it's coming from, but it, uh, I think it would behoove the sport. Like it, it would benefit the sport if it could find some sort of foil
2: for uh for the number one conference in the land. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, on that I agree. Like I think, you know, big picture, it would be it would be helpful. And I think this is where you see just the the quality from top to bottom of the SEC is they just get so many bites at the Apple year after year in the College World Series, where you know, this year it was, you know, kind of clear. Okay, if the Big 12 is going to get on this stage, it's gonna have to be. Texas, TCU, or maybe Texas Tech, but really mostly just Texas or TCU, then ultimately Texas only gets here. It, Pac-12 is a little bit of the same deal. They end up getting two teams here. Um, you know, neither of them made a particularly deep run, so they were eliminated pretty quickly. So it's just, you know, the volume of the SEC teams ends up just being so overwhelming where it's a tough task for another conference to elbow in there. But on your uh, on your point, I, I totally agree. Like, I just think for the, for the help. And this, you know, by the way, I mean, this is kind of, I think this is a discussion that's being had um, from a football standpoint, you know, and from football, it's more like, it's less about how do we, you know, diversify, and not just have it be an SEC dominated thing. And it's more like, how do we not have it be the top six teams over and over and over again? Six. You're being generous. I am being generous. It's, I don't know who I'm three. adding in there. It's I three. Don't think... <laughs> but even, even so, like if you, you know, if you take, you know, I, I guess four with LSU, but yeah. Or like, you know, so maybe it's six. I just, I, you know, I'm adding in teams like Oklahoma, for example, you know, like stuff like that. I mean, they've just been there time and time, but long story short, like this is, I mean, this is a discussion that's being had not just in baseball, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a college sports issue that less in basketball, I suppose. Um, but certainly in football and baseball, like I think this is a very front of mind topic. Yeah. And
0: You know, unlike in uh, in those those sports, you know, I I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of movement to to do much of anything because there's not so much that they can legislate around. You know, there's one conference that's fully invested and then there are the rest and uh, you're seeing you're you're seeing the results of that. So,
2: um,
0: you know, might there be other things that other conferences could tweak? Yes, but I, I don't know how you top down it. I think it's got to come from within for those other places. And um, you know, maybe another all SEC championship series will will help be an impetus for somebody to to step up and realize what they have to do, but uh, I wouldn't bet on it. Um okay, on the field, Joe. Uh the the people like picks. So how do you see this one playing out?
2: You know, I've I've ridden with Vanderbilt. Uh, this this whole time during the during the CWS and it got a little dicey there for a little bit and they did catch a break with NC State I mean maybe they would have beaten NC State straight up but just to not have to play that second game you know and, and certainly not have having gotten them full strength in that first bracket final so um, can't deny that was a little bit of break they caught um, but I, I'm still going to ride with them uh, you know they're going to have a basically a fully rested lighter to start things off um, you know that. And Corbin expressed confidence that Rocker will be ready for game three if they need them. And as we talked about with, with Brad Bohannon, I mean, um, they do have the more vulnerability in the third game, which in this case would be a game two. So if they lose game one, if Lighter gets beat, and, you know, he did against NC State, not his fault, but, you know, they, they did lose a lighter start earlier in the CWS. Uh, that's obviously a vulnerability for Vanderbilt, but like we talked about with Coach Bohannon, you know, the bullpen has been pretty good in this, in this CWS, like they've gotten good work out of guys, you know, Murphy and McElwain in particular have turned in um, really good outings. And so, you know, that I, you know, I think maybe um, on this grand, in the grand scheme of things, sure. You know, they are a little more vulnerable versus the days that rocker and lighter start, but that's not to say that that group can't come together and, and win a game in these finals. So I actually have a decent amount of confidence that, you know, they can still get it done, even if they have to lean on that unit in a third game. But at this point, You know, I don't I don't see any reason to switch my pick. I mean, Mississippi State definitely uh, would not shock me. They kind of have some mojo going right now. Um, They you know, they're kind of making things happen. We've talked about time and again this season, how it's a team that just finds a way. But I think you have to look at some of the things that they'd have to have go right here. They've got Christian McLeod on the mound in game one and his start earlier in the CWS was not particularly good. They're still kind of struggling to find a reliever other than Landon Sims. They trust twice in the CWS. They've just kind of done like the kitchen sink thing with the bullpen. One of the games, I literally ran up spots in my scorebook for Mississippi state relievers. So that's a little bit of a concern, but, but Hey, they keep finding a way. And I think that's kind of what's going to make this fun is that Mississippi state is just a tough team to beat. And so Vanderbilt's going to have to truly play well to get it done. So I keep flipping back and forth on this, like
0: initially. My, my feeling was Mississippi state. They just feel like they're, they're playing so well right now. When you look at difference makers offensively, I trust Jordan and Allen more and they're getting a lot out of, or they're not getting a lot They're The, the depth of their lineup though is, um, you know, you, you see Tanner Leggett, uh, you know, with the big hit last night and stuff like that just keeps happening for Mississippi state. But you raise a good point about Christian McLeod. Uh, he did not look good, and he hasn't been as – like he was better in the season than, than he's closing. I think it's, it's a fair assessment of, of the way things have gone lately for him. Bednar now won't be able to pitch until Wednesday, and then you might wonder about just how much he'll have, You know, just like you might wonder about about Rocker. Mississippi State has just as much of a game three problem as as Vanderbilt does probably. Houston Harding has been pretty good in the role, but it's not like he's world beating. Um, and now he'll likely be your game two starter unless he's needed in lawn relief in game one. I, I would expect that's how that'll go. I keep having the suspicion that Jackson Fristo is, is going to have to Throw some innings here from Mississippi State to to win, and they they just haven't gone to Frisco yet. So we'll we'll see if that's true. Um, and you know, if with with Lighter being rested for Game One, what's uh, if if it gets to a Game Three, you know, let's say Lighter wins one, Mississippi State wins two, and okay, now you're Game Three. Well, now you have Kamar Rocker who will be ready to go in some capacity, you know, maybe not ready to go nine, but ready to go. And his record in elimination games is absurd. So yeah, from that standpoint, you'd feel pretty good about it from Vanderbilt. But I guess for the sake of diversity on this podcast and because I have been kind of leaning Mississippi State at times, I'll I'll go ahead and, and, and lock in the Bulldogs as, as my official pick. I, I think that, I just feel better about where their offense is at right now. And while I expect pitching to dominate the series, you can't win zero to negative one. So both of these teams are going to have to find ways to score some runs. And I think I just feel a little bit better
2: about Mississippi State's ability to do that right now. You know, for all the criticism about a lack of offense, like at the in baseball, particularly the major league level, at least at least we we'll have negative scores. You're right. I mean, you can't win <laughs> you can't win zero to negative one, and like thank goodness, because in modern version of baseball, they would find a way to make that happen. Um, it's a good point. You know, the Vanderbilt offense has underwhelmed. Safe to say, so far in the CWS, they you know seven runs against Arizona to start things off in a in a twelve inning game. So it's not even like you know ultimately that output. Um, you know, on a rate basis is not gonna bully over. They, you know, six runs against Stanford otherwise, you know. <laughs> to be fair, only one of those runs was six training. So yeah, that's fair. Good point. Um, but you know, six runs against Stanford. So, you know, six runs in 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 nine inning outings and two of those games is the best they've done, which I mean that'll get it done, but those are against Arizona and Stanford's pitching staffs, you know. Um, and even Mississippi State for all their faults, I think we would take um you know their pitching staff at least on par with Stanford's and certainly over Arizona. So, I
0: mean, I'd take them over both of those. I, I don't know. I don't know why you're so down on the city state pitching all of a sudden.
2: Well, I mean, I guess I was, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm looking at like Brendan Beck and like, you know, I like Brendan Beck a lot. And so, you know, I, you're, you're right. I guess I would take them over Sewell Bednar. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. The guy's pretty good. Um, but the larger point I'm making is is the concern about Vanderbilt's offense is, um, yeah, you have a right to be concerned about that. And that, that is my concern from a Vanderbilt standpoint going into going into the series. And, and the, the hope from Vanderbilt standpoint is that it just as as has been the case so far to get them to the finals, the hope is that it just doesn't really end up being the difference maker.
0: Yeah. I, I think this is going to be a competitive finals, no matter how we slice it. Mississippi State doesn't play non-competitive games anymore, anyway. Um, and just the way the the World Series has gone so far, it's just been so evenly matched. They were relatively close games. They weren't one run games necessarily in Nashville, but they were relatively close then. So I, I think you're looking at what should be a very compelling final series, uh, which uh would be befitting of this uh this World Series overall. Uh all right, so let's um touch briefly here on a couple of the teams that were eliminated. Um Texas made a really good run at this thing. They fall just short against Mississippi State. Uh, Ultimately on Saturday night, getting walked off, uh, missing a a trip to the finals. The Longhorns, though, I mean, they got a lot coming back next year. We haven't actually talked about this yet, but they're going to be really highly ranked in the preseason. I mean, we'll see how the draft plays out and everything, but they're going to be ranked really highly next year and going to be expected to get back to this stage. But um, it's going to be a different team. Time Adam for sure is uh is is looking like he's he's gone as a as a first round pick and, and some other players will will certainly depart as well. But this was um I guess as you said last night, Joe, Texas is
2: back. Yeah, and that's another thing that uh folks can read as you as you listen to this. I've got a piece out on Texas and and look, it's it's become a meme. Um I get it, but from a baseball standpoint, it's, the evidence is overwhelming. Texas is back. I mean, what they did this year, and, and David Pierce even said it. I was kind of glad that he said this because I think it, it would be easy to look at, well, they were here in 2018. That wasn't that long ago, and that's true. However, very different situation. That team kind of lived a charmed life down the stretch. Uh, Cody Clemons did an awful lot. Cody Clemens did a lot of heavy lifting, and then that season kind of, that, that kind of felt like um, there were some holdover players, but it kind of felt like the end of a run um, for that team as opposed to the beginning of something. This very much feels like the beginning of something. A lot of these guys were around for a team that finished in last place in 2019 and they dealt with the pandemic in 2020 and so it, it feels like a crowning achievement for this group and they are going to lose some guys but i think just as exciting or just as notable are the guys they're going to have back and whether to talk about you know some of the the freshmen they had in the lineup um you know faltini and uh mitchell Daly and silas arduan um you know uh, those guys or in in on the pitching staff with Tanner Witt and Aaron Nixon that's those guys are as good as just about anybody going to be coming back into college baseball next year and so I would not be surprised at all if Texas is back here exactly a year from now and maybe going even a little bit further and in the big picture it is kind of interesting that we've been writing these as we call them obituaries for these teams as they're eliminated and it has struck me how much it is that the teams that we've had to written, we've had to write up as, as being eliminated, how much they all there is kind of a theme of, hey, this team is still pretty young. Like there are some guys coming back. The trajectory here is good. And I understand part of that is because teams that get here tend to be also the types of teams that continue to get here. It's a pretty closed ecosystem. We just got done talking about that to some degree. However, I don't think it's just that. I do think these are also just happen to be a group of teams that are all kind of cresting at the same time, whether you're talking about Arizona, Stanford, Tennessee, Virginia, to some degree, certainly Texas maybe best among that group. Um, It's a really exciting group of teams that have been eliminated here. And so while they are all disappointed, maybe Texas the most because they were so close. uh, Those teams all have a lot to be excited about moving forward.
0: Yeah, I I think that's uh, that's a good point. Really, um, one of the few teams that maybe doesn't feel that way is, uh, is Tennessee just, there, there's going to be a lot of turnover in Knoxville, I think, but, um, you know, still to to just have gotten to this point after 16 years of not being in Omaha, and just how much that program has growth, You still just feel good about the momentum from this year, even if next year they have to reset a little bit, or if the team is just going to look a little different, uh, it, it has been, uh, you know, and Virginia, in, in some way, a similar way, you can turn, you can point to a few pieces of Virginia and be very excited about what they have coming back next year. But again, just after a few difficult seasons to, to get back to this stage it was uh, was very impressive. So of any of those other teams outside of the the last four, who, who among the first four eliminated, I guess, Joe, did, made, made something of an impression on you this week.
2: I think I, I I'm interested in what Stanford has. They're one of the first four, right? It gets it gets that is, hard that to, is correct. Hard yes. to keep up with like with the order Stanford, of the here. Stanford, Arizona,
0: Tennessee, and uh, oh boy, I, I just lost the last. That one. would be Virginia, right? Virginia, yes, yeah. yes,
2: yeah. Like Virginia too. Like they're kind of on the cusp of like they, they do have some guys who are leaving, but it's like if you really believe in the young talent there, what you know, Kyle Teal and Chris Newell and Nate Savino, like that's kind of what they have going for them there. But but I'd probably say Stanford because it just. Um, they are really well positioned. I feel like with their young position player group also, you know, some of their younger players felt like the more talented players, they got some good years from older players. Tim Tawa is an example. Nick Bruiser is another example, uh, Brennan Beck, of course, but it felt like the make perhaps the more talented guys they have are their younger guys. I mean, Brock Jones, will be back for, for one more go around and drew Bowser, a uh, big year, uh, debuting in, um, the pac 12, and so that that more than I think the others feels like a, t, a program that has maybe turned a little bit of a corner. I would probably feel the same about Arizona. However, um, maybe as a segue into a, a little bit of a different topic, they have some uncertainty because, yes, they do have young players returning, but now they're going through a coaching change. There's also uncertainty about with the new coach trying to get hired right before the transfer portal deadline, do they hold those young players in Tucson, there's a lot of questions there for Arizona. I love the talent they have in Tucson as long as it sticks around, but that really is the big question.
0: Yeah, I, I think Arizona probably is the the would have been the answer if uh, things didn't break the way they broke later this week. We'll we'll, we'll touch on Arizona here in a second. I, uh, I I like what Virginia has. I mean, like what we, everything you said about Stanford is true. I very excited to see Brock Jones next year and how. If he made this kind of jump this year like is there more development left even if there's not like i just love watching that guy play uh and, and and then tennessee like i said i mean, the got to feel great about the trajectory of the program and the fact that tony vitello is back next year that, that he didn't get hired for any of these jobs that, that kept getting talked about um you know now what where do you go as as you continue to build that program what's the next step and uh, very interested to see that. But yeah, Arizona has as much young talent as anyone. They had two true freshmen make like the All-America team and Jacob Berry and Daniel Susak. Uh, they have a young core in the pitching staff. They, they have a lot of talent coming back. However, Jay Johnson was hired as LSU's next head coach. He'll be introduced tomorrow. Yeah, well, I guess as we record this, we'll be listening to this tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Monday, he's being introduced to Baton Rouge today. And pitching coach Nate Yeski was hired away by Jim Schlossnagel at Texas A&M to, to be his pitching coach. So those two guys are gone, and now Arizona's left, you know, starting over from a coaching staff standpoint. And like you said, now the the first responsibility, I guess, is potentially going to be re-recruiting the roster and that's uh it's a really talented roster got some good recruits coming in again got to potentially re-recruit them but at least they were interested in arizona before so everything's set up pretty well there but there is there's now a lot of uncertainty from an lsu standpoint joe i mean to to hire jay they are according to my research Jay, jay jay johnson will be the first head baseball coach to go from the Pac-12 to the SEC directly. It's never happened before. There's a lot of consternation out there about, like, well, how's, how's he going to do? Like, West Coast guy coming to the Southeast, how, how's he going to do? And pressure cooker environment that is Baton Rouge, and there's so much more attention here, and so much more media coverage, and, and how's he going to handle all of that? And all to, to the, all of that, I say, he'll, he'll be just fine, guys. Um, he's one of the best recruiters in the country. He is like a guy that actually goes out and recruits as a head coach. And that's, that can be a difference maker because in a sport where you only have two assistant coaches, only your head coaches and those two assistant coaches are allowed to go out and recruit. If you have a head coach who is dogged on the recruiting trail, like that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, and I think that's a big reason why he has been able to bring in such good recruiting classes to Arizona. All five of his classes at Arizona have been ranked. Uh, previously in the previous 15 years of the Baseball America recruiting rankings, Arizona had just four ranked recruiting classes. He landed a number one ranked recruiting class at San Diego. He, and that wasn't the Chris Bryant class. He also brought Chris Bryant to San Diego. So like, I feel like he's gonna do fine because so much, so much about having success in this sport least right now is about going out, and finding the right players. And that is one of the absolute best qualities of Jay Johnson as a coach. He's a really good hitting coach too. There's a reason why Arizona had the best offense in the country this year. So if you, if you're bringing those two things to the table, like, I I just feel really good about everything else that how everything else will fall into place. It's going to have to hire a good pitching coach. Like that's absolutely true, but it's LSU. Like, the resources are there to do that. The program, the brand, it's all there to do that. So I, I feel really good about the future of LSU and, and Jay Johnson's ability to, to have success there.
2: And yeah, the, the recruiting head coach part is a good point because it, it's almost like having a bonus coach in some ways, you know, where he can be so involved on the recruiting side while also doing the, the head coach piece of it. And, oh, by the way, you mentioned, you know, being a, a really good, um, a really good hitting coach. You know, I saw LSU, you know, up close in Knoxville a couple of weeks ago, and I wrote in the immediate aftermath of that, of whoever the next coach is, which you now know is Jay Johnson. Uh, the, that coach is going to have a really good lineup on its hands. There, there are questions to be asked on the pitching side, um, you know, with Marceau and, and Jayden Hill leaving um, a couple of older relievers also, but, the lineup is really, really good, and the lineup is was pretty young this year in a lot of places, and so I'm really excited to see what Jay Johnson can do with those guys because I think that's going to be uh, not a lot of fun for SEC pitching coaches to have to game plan for next year. A Jay Johnson-led LSU lineup with those young players they had this year, like, woof, that's going to be a tough assignment. But I, I'm with you in that, look, I, I think fit matters. I'm someone who believes that fit matters, but I think it only matters to an extent, right? I think if you're a good coach and you're willing to – throw yourself into a job and really throw yourself into the community and the culture and everything that goes into winning there. I think just about anybody who's willing to do that can win just about anywhere. There are some exceptions. There are some times, by the way, where, you know, things just don't work out for like no good reason, bad luck and all kinds of things get cooked into it. That happens all the time. And so I'm also not ruling that out, but, um, I'm not as skittish as some are on the fit. Um, but LSU is also a unique animal, right? I mean, it's, there's no job like it in college baseball, and while I have confidence in Jay's ability to handle it, he's uh, also a, you know, kind of a gregarious guy. He, you know, doesn't mind the media part of it, um, or at least hasn't to this point. Uh, again, LSU is a step above in a lot of ways from what people are used to from a media standpoint, but, you know, he he doesn't doesn't mind that part of it. Um, I know you and I have both had good interactions with him in that regard, so there's that. Um, so, you know, I understand why people might kind of cock their head a little bit at this. Um, But like I said, I think good coaches who are willing to put in that kind of work more often than not are going to get it figured out. Understanding also that sometimes things just don't work out and LSU is just a a pressure cooker of a job, you know? And so if things get sideways, they can really get sideways quick at a place like LSU. And that's certainly the challenge and the risk that Jay's taken on here.
0: I mean, I just feel like this is also one of those jobs that is really set up for you to win and win big. And if you're pretty good at your job, probably gonna be able to take advantage of that. And again, I think Jay is more than pretty good at his job. So I uh I yeah, it fit matters, but I don't know, I don't know how much it matters. <laughs> you know, like it, it definitely matters to an extent, but the the way it matters is a way in which we on the outside are always going to struggle to evaluate. Uh it's it's something you can at least predict. You might be able to evaluate it afterwards and figure out why it didn't work. But predicting it going in, I, I just don't think we have a very good handle on that. And you just have to be inside the building to, to know how, how some of this stuff works, to know who's too involved, who's not involved enough, and um, you know which parties you have to keep happy, and, and and all the rest of that. And you know, if if we knew all of that, we'd uh, you know, the, the, the college sports just doesn't allow. For, for you to, to know all, all of those things. And that, that's why you see all the time, you know, fit coaches uh, not working out at places that, that people are, are convinced that they will. So, you know, we'll see um, how this one goes. Obviously, it's going to be uh, a, an interesting thing now with, with Jay Johnson and Jim Schlossnagel both joining the SEC West. Things just got harder there. Um, or state is hard. I don't know. It, it's it, like Brad Bohannon said, it's the, it's the toughest division in amateur sports. And I'm, I'm not really here to argue that like uh, in college baseball, at least this is, this is the premier place. And um, you know, so it'll be, a, it'll be a lot of fun to watch as a neutral observer next season and, and well into the future, I think. All right. So that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. The next time we come at you with a podcast, we'll have a national champion. How about that? Um, so you can uh, subscribe to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever wherever you look for your podcasts, you can find us, and we'll have a, a wrap-up coming at you later in the week of the uh, of the National Championship Series, and then throughout the offseason, we'll, uh, we'll take you through, likely, with uh, more interviews like you heard today. Um, we, we love bringing on our guests, and uh, so if you have anyone that, that you would like to, to hear from this offseason, let us know uh, either in a, in a comment there on Apple Podcasts or on Twitter. You can find me at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy, B-A. And check out everything over at BaseballAmerica.com. Joe referenced several of his stories. There's a lot to read right now over there. Uh, and there will be a lot to read throughout the week as we, uh, as we get ever closer to to crowning a national champion in college baseball so for joe i'm teddy we'll talk to you next time on the baseball america college podcast everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or McCrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day